I'm Chad Robertson. I want to welcome you to today's broadcast of Awaken to Grace. We are studying Peter walking on the water. But what we're going to see in today's sermon is that this story found in the Gospel of Matthew is really not about Peter. What it's really about is the power, the sovereignty, the ability of Christ. That when the waves and the winds come into our life, when we are frightened by the storms of life, well, it's the sovereignty of God that we ought to be looking at. And when the disciples saw the power of Christ, then they worshipped him as the Son of God. This story really isn't about Peter. Just like the situations, the trials, the hardships, the story of our life really is not about us. It's really about Jesus. So I hope you enjoy today learning the principles that come out of Matthew 14, where Jesus literally walked on the water. So today I want to talk to you about this incredible, mind-blowing miracle where Jesus literally defied the laws of nature and walked on water. There's a key principle that I want to point out real quick before we go into the text. And I do want to note this story is not necessarily about Peter. If we are not careful, we make it solely about Peter. And the story really and truly is not about him. He's part of it, but it's not about him. The story in reality is about the sovereignty and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The story is that all things, including the storms of life, including physical wind and waves, are really under God's control. That's the point of the story. If you and I aren't careful, we'll focus on the wrong thing. We'll focus on Peter. And let me show you how I know that the story really isn't about Peter. This story is mentioned in the Gospel of Mark. It's also mentioned in the Gospel of John. And out of the three times this story is mentioned, only Matthew tells us that Peter walked on the water. The other two accounts don't even mention Peter Walking on the water. And I'll tell you another way I know the story's not about him. is because in all of the other writings of Scripture about Peter, even in the book of Acts, as the first 12 chapters is almost exclusively about the ministry of Peter, and even as we have the two letters from Peter, first and second Peter to the church, this story never comes up. I don't know if you would be like me, but I'll tell you this. If I ever walked on water, it would be the story of my life. You know, we would have testimony time in church and I would stand up and go, Hey, did you guys ever hear about me walking on water? <laughs> in all my sermons, I would find a way to say, you know, there was one time I actually walked on water. I mean, I sank, but before I sank, I walked on water. I'd be in casual conversation with friends. Hey, you remember that time I walked on water? <laughs> it would be the story of my life. And yet it's never mentioned again about Peter's life. That tells me the focus is not really 
Peter, the focus is Jesus. Can we say amen today? The focus is Jesus. So that's how I want to teach this lesson today. I want to share three scenes with you. Number one, I want us to see Jesus withdrawing. The second scene, I want us to see Jesus appears. And then lastly, I want us to see Jesus saves. Look with me at verse 22. The Bible says, immediately... Now, that's going to be a key word through the book of Matthew. Matthew loves the word immediately. And when he uses the term immediately, it's like a flag going up. And it's like Matthew saying, heads up. Pay attention. Something big is happening. It's a great key word throughout the book. And he's going to share it three times in this story alone. So he says, immediately... Jesus put the disciples in a boat to go to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now let's understand what's happening. Because the next verse, 23 says, again, he dismissed the crowds. What crowd is he talking about? Well, we know some things are happening in rapid fire succession. We know that John the Baptist has been beheaded. No doubt Jesus is grieving and suffering the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist. We know that Jesus felt the pain of loss. He wept with Lazarus. Why did he weep? Because some scholars say, oh, because of the people's lack of faith. No, I think it was Jesus in his full humanity. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. I think Jesus felt that pain of death. And I have no doubt he felt it with John the Baptist. And so, but yet Jesus continues to minister and We know this story is recorded in Mark 6 and in Mark 5. We see that Jesus cast out the legion of demons out of the demoniac man in in, uh, Gennesaret. Now why is that important? That's going to come back to this story. And I'll point it out in just a few moments. Jesus cast out the legion of demons. They go into the 2,000 herd of pig. They go into the Sea of Galilee and drown. And then John the Baptist is beheaded by Herod. Then we pick up what's the next thing the immediately that Matthew's referring to is Jesus fed the 5,000. Now, Scripture says it was 5,000 men. Scholars say you have to account also women and children. So scholars believe Jesus fed up to 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fishes. What a remarkable miracle. So Jesus feeds, conservatively, 20,000 people. And this is where we pick up in verse 22. Immediately, so something big is going on right here. Jesus puts his disciples in a boat and says, go to the other side. Now, if I were a disciple, I'd be thinking, well, how are you going to get to the other side? But I bet the disciples weren't necessarily thinking that because do you remember what was left over from all of the abundance of the fish? Twelve baskets, right? Why were there twelve baskets left? I think to increase the faith of all twelve of the disciples. They had a basket each. 
And they loaded the baskets on the boat, and I bet they were on the biggest spiritual high that they had ever been in. I bet they were high-fiving each other. I bet, I bet the chatter was unbelievable because of the incredible miracle that Jesus just did. But how many of you know, sometimes, at the moments of our greatest spiritual victories, then come our greatest spiritual storms. And I believe I have a word from the Lord for someone today. I believe the Lord's given me several words today that are in season for someone. I believe there are some listening that you don't understand what's going on in your life right now. I mean, you got super serious with Jesus. You got really committed to Jesus. You got serious about following God. And right after God began really moving in your life, now it's like you've hit a brick wall. Now it's like the storm of your life has come. And now you're literally reeling from everything that's happening to you. And you don't know why. Let me tell you why. Because often, after your greatest victory then comes the greatest storm and that's where some of you are and you don't know what's going on you don't know why you feel the way you feel you don't know why the winds are against you you don't know why you feel disillusioned you don't know why you're discouraged it's because the greatest storm has come The Sea of Galilee was highly prone to storms, is highly prone. Let me give you some facts on the Sea of Galilee. Believe it or not, it is positioned around mountains and it lies in a very low-lying valley. And as a matter of fact, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest lake on the earth below sea level. The lowest lake in the earth. And because it is positioned and so low-lying, it is prone to sudden and violent storms. At its deepest depth, the Sea of Galilee is 141 feet. It's roughly eight miles wide. And Jesus sent his followers in a boat by themselves. You know, I can't help but to think if I were a disciple and I had just went through the greatest miracle that I had ever witnessed, I would have wondered to myself, if Jesus could have fed 5,000 men plus, why did he not see the storm coming? If Jesus could have done the miracle with the loaves and the fishes, why did he send us into a storm that we're probably going to die? And so you have to understand, the disciples, they were experienced fishermen. It's not like they had never been out in a storm. I mean, you know the scripture teaches that Paul and John, I'm sorry, Peter and John were fishermen in business together. P&J, fishing enterprise. The Bible don't say that. It could have been J and P or JP. I don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But they were in business together. They were career fishermen. They knew what they were doing. And yet this was a storm like no other. In verse 24, the Bible says that the storm, that the waves and the wind beat upon the boat. The original Greek term there literally means torment. Think about that. The wind was so severe, the waves were so severe that it tormented the boat. 
That's the kind of storm. And where was Jesus? He was alone. The disciples were alone. Maybe today you're listening and you feel like God has left you alone. Maybe today you're listening and you feel like you are facing storms alone. Maybe today you're listening and you're praying and you're going, God, where are you? Why haven't you shown up yet? Why am I walking through this? Why is life tormenting me? Why am I going through the storm of my life? Well, let me share with you, my friends, there are times you have to face storms. The Bible teaches that we are to harden ourselves like good soldiers. And I think sometimes we forget, yeah, God gave the victory. God gave the promised land to the children of Israel. But friends, they still had to strap on armor and they still had to fight the fight. Don't be dismayed when you have to face the storm. Don't be disillusioned when you got to go through war. Don't think that God is picking on you when God throws you into the deep end and says, sink or swim. God's not angry at you. God's not picking on you. God has not abandoned you. See, here's the point. Jesus is about to appear. But sometimes you have to face life. Sometimes you got to face the winds head on. Sometimes you got to face the waves head on. But be assured, Jesus is going to appear. Amen? Amen. Don't be upset. Don't be disillusioned. Don't be dismayed. Don't be fearful. Don't be alarmed. Don't think as though God has abandoned you. See, the Bible says in the chapter 6 of the book of Mark, Jesus saw them. (laughs) He knew exactly where they were. And you see, when Jesus put them in the boat in verse 22 and told them to go to the other side, Jesus knew full well what storm was coming. He knew full well. And I'm telling you, Jesus is ahead of every curve of your life. And he knows everything that not only you're facing now, he knows what you'll face in the future. And his eye is on you. Jesus withdrew. Maybe today you feel like Jesus has withdrawn from you. No, friend, he knows where you are. You may have to face some things. You may have to go through some things. But don't be dismayed. Christ knows exactly where you are in the storm of life. So here they are. They're being tormented by the waves, by the wind. And then the Bible says on the fourth watch. God does many things in the fourth watch. The fourth watch of the night, which would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Verse 25 says that Jesus came to them in the fourth watch Of the night. See, my friend, that's why it's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to give up. You may be at the 2 a.m. hour of your storm. You may be at the 2 hour and 59 minute mark of the worst storm of your life. But don't give up because God works in the fourth watch. Amen? Don't give up. And on the fourth watch, Jesus walked on the water. To them. What a miracle. Well, let's watch Jesus appear. So the disciples are being tormented by the waves and the wind. They're experienced sailors. They've never seen anything like this. They're about to die. They're petrified. 
And the Bible says that when they saw Jesus walking on water, do you remember what Matthew tells us they thought? They thought it was a ghost. Now, let, 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 me, let me paint for you the imagery that I have of some of the disciples. I don't see them as coddled men. <laughs> I picture Peter looking like a big burly Viking. I bet he was hairy. I bet he was big. I bet he had a booming bassy voice. Big hairy arms. You know, thick beard. and mud. I just picture him being a, a big hairy guy that doesn't scare quite easily. And the Bible uses two words when they saw a ghost. They were terrified and they cried out with fear. Now that's very interesting to me. Do you know why I believe that they thought he was a ghost? Well, an unbelievable event happened in Mark 5 right before this. Remember what we said? Jesus cast out the demoniac. He cast out a legion of demons out of the demoniac man. They went into the herd of pig, 2,000 pigs, and they ran into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. No doubt that memory was fresh in their memory banks. I mean, that's some spooky, crazy stuff. And no doubt that's why they thought it was a ghost. But it wasn't. It was Jesus. And the Bible uses two words, terrified and cried out with fear. Two different words. The word terrified there means rattled. It means agitated. It means startled. The word fear there, they cried out in fear. In the Greek is phobos. It's where we get our English word phobia. Phobia. They were afraid. They were terrified. They were fearful. Grown men. Sailors, for crying out loud. They were terrified. But do you remember what Jesus said to them? I believe verse 27. Do you remember what Jesus said? Take cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. You know, I think of the gods of this day the gods of the day, the Roman world that Jesus was born into, all of those many, many gods that people worshipped, all the gods of Egypt, the thing was to be afraid of them. And here is the true and the living God walking on the water with a physical body, the true and living God. And what does the true God tell humanity? Don't be afraid. Isn't that a remarkable thought? See, some of you have an unhealthy view of God. You're afraid of Him and you think God wants you to be afraid of Him. Now, the Bible says to fear the Lord, but the word fear there isn't phobos. It's not a petrified. It's not shaking in your shoes afraid. It means to respect. Just like when I was a little boy... I was afraid of my mama. My mom would wear me out quicker than you could turn around. I think she did it for a hobby. She, tell, she told me all my life growing up that 
I was so mean as a little boy, and I was. You have no idea. I was awful. And she tells me, I'm the reason I'm an only child. I don't believe that. I, I don't think she was serious. But I was afraid of my mom. She meant business. Business. Spare the rod. You'll spoil the child. Amen? Discipline is biblical. It's biblical. But see, now that I'm an adult, now that I'm a full-grown man, my mom's in kids' church today. Don't worry, she's not spanking your kids, but she's in (laughs) kids' church today. I'm twice her size. You think I'm afraid of my mom? Maybe a little, you know. But I mean, do you think I worry about her taking my car keys? Well, I'm blind now, so that, that's not a good analogy, huh? You think I'm worried about her sending me to my room? No. See, now my fear, the fear that I have for my mom today, my dad has passed, but even when he was alive, The fear that I had toward my parents were not shaking in my shoes afraid of them. The fear I had was I don't want to disappoint them. I want them to be proud of me. I want to make them proud. I want to do good things for them. You you understand what I'm saying? You know the old saying, if you can't control your kid at five years old, you'll never control them when they're 15. And they won't obey God when they're 25. You better put the fear of God in your little ones. Amen? Amen. It's biblical. And so I grew up being disciplined by my mom. I may have been afraid of her. I may have been afraid she'd wear me out. But see, now that I'm a full-grown man, my fear for her is a respect. It is healthy. It is mature. That's how the Lord wants you to view him. He doesn't want you shaking in your shoes. He doesn't want you afraid of God. He wants you to fear the Lord as in a mature and a healthy respect toward the Lord. You see the difference? And here's the God of the universe telling his followers, don't be afraid. I think the Lord is saying the same to us today. I think the Lord is telling us, don't fear. Don't be afraid. And so, what happens next is remarkable. We see Jesus appear. Now, let's watch Jesus save. So, Peter. (laughs) Good old Peter. You know, I was thinking about this last night. I thought, now, Lord, is it really fair that you took all of the failures of Peter? And there's many of them. You took all of his failures... For all the generations of the church to learn from. Boy, that's a lot of pressure on Peter. But then the Lord reminded me, Revelation chapter 21. The Bible says, when that new Jerusalem comes down from heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. When that new Jerusalem comes, you know what's written on the foundations of the new Jerusalem? The twelve apostles of the Lamb. And God has inscribed Peter's name. 
to endure for all of eternity. I chuckled it. I said, Lord, I guess that's a fair trade for every generation of all the church to learn and know about Peter's failures. How would you like it if God took all your failures for everybody to learn from? I thought that's a, that's a good trade. So Peter, he calls out to the Lord. Now I want to explain this because I think in our English context, we miss the meaning of this. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out. Peter, what are you saying? I think in our English context, we hear it as a challenge to the Lord. Like, God, if that's really you, then make me walk on. No, he's not challenging Jesus. If you're taking notes, I want you to note this. This is a great confession of Peter's faith. Peter knew it was Jesus, because what did he call him? Lord. Peter knew it was the Lord. And see, this is why it's so important that we understand the original language of the Bible, because sometimes things get lost in some translation. Well, the original language of the New Testament is Greek, and this is literally what Peter said in the Greek language. This is how the original scripture is written. This is what Peter was saying. Even as much as it is you, call me out. In other words, Peter is saying, Lord, because it is you, bid me to come. Peter is saying, since it's you, Jesus, call me out. What a remarkable confession of faith. Do you see the remarkable faith of Peter? He's saying, not if, as in, cross your fingers, maybe 50-50, it could be the Lord and it could be a ghost. That's how we hear it in our English ears. But no, in reality, what Peter's saying is because it is you, since it is you. In the original, it's for even as much as it is you, bid me to come. That's remarkable faith. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Say amen if you're with me right now. Okay, so Peter tells the Lord, because it's you, bid me out. That's incredible faith on Peter's part. And then, I believe it's verse 28, if I'm not mistaken. Verse 28, verse 27, Jesus says, then come. And Peter gets out of the boat. Peter literally, without hesitation, obeys Jesus Christ. Don't you wish you had that quick of faith? You know, that's something that we traced about Peter's life in our big study through the book of Acts a few years ago. Peter was quick to obey. All throughout Acts, every time Peter was to follow an angel or go to an assignment or do something the Lord said, there was a, there was a phrase that always followed Peter. It was the word quickly. And Peter quickly went. You can read that all through the first 12 chapters of Acts. And even here, Peter didn't hesitate. Peter jumps out of the boat on to the water. Can you imagine what faith Peter had? I mean, there's 11 other guys in the boat. In the place of safety. In the place of comfort. But not Peter. Peter jumps right over the edge. Right onto the waves. 
right into the wind. What remarkable, unbelievable faith he had in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a leader he was. Now here's something I appreciate about the Bible. You want me to tell you another reason I know that the story is not about Peter? I think sometimes the Bible tells us more by what it does not say than what it could tell us by the details that it could share. Sometimes Scripture speaks more in what it doesn't say. And let me tell you one thing the Lord showed me that it doesn't tell us here. We don't know how many steps Peter took. He could have taken one or two. He could have taken 20. He could have taken 200. And we don't know. You know why I think we don't know? Because it doesn't matter. I think sometimes we get hung up on details about our life that really doesn't matter. Sometimes we get focused about our circumstance. Sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we get fixated about the details of our life and the things going on. Sometimes we measure certain things that in reality, my friends, it does not matter. The church of Antioch in the book of Acts. Boy, I keep going back to Acts today, don't I? The church of Antioch. You know what the Bible tells us about Antioch? The Bible tells us that the hand of the Lord was on the brothers who started Antioch. And the Bible tells us that they prayed and fasted and sent out Paul and Barnabas. They were the first missionary sending church. And you know what I love about the church of Antioch? The Bible never tells us what their attendance was. Now isn't that something? The Bible tells us 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost. The Bible tells us about thousands or more at various times that were added to the church. But there was a certain point in Acts where the Bible never gives us any more numbers. I believe it doesn't give numbers because they couldn't be counted. But do you know why else I believe the Bible doesn't give us numbers? It's because at the end of the day it does not matter. We don't know if Antioch was a church of 30,000 or of 30 people. The point is not how many came. The point, rather than their seating capacity, the Bible emphasizes their sending capacity. And so it is here with Peter. The Bible doesn't tell us if it was two steps, ten steps, twenty, a hundred. All we know is that Peter walked to the Lord on water. Remarkable. Now, verse 29, something happens to Peter that I believe has happened to many of us. The Bible says, 30, thank you. The Bible says a strong gust of wind come. And Peter looked at the wind. And when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, Peter began to sink. Peter began to look at what was beyond his control. Could that be where some of you are today? Are you looking at circumstances of life that you have no control over? Are you looking at winds of life that have you frightened and there's nothing you can do? 
Somehow have you taken your eyes off of the Lord Jesus and began to look at the circumstances of life? Now to Peter's credit, I don't know how long it would have taken him to sink, but to his credit, you know what Peter began to do? Psalm 69. David cried out, save me, O God. Do not let the floods come up over me. And as Peter began to sink, you know what he did? He cried out to the Lord to save him. I have a word from the Lord for someone. And I believe that God's given me this word specific today. I think this is the whole purpose of today. Why he led me to this text. There's some of you that you began very well. You started in faith. You were quick to jump out of the boat. God did miracles in your life. You walked on water. You were faithful. You kept your eyes on Jesus. But somewhere through the years, somewhere through time, you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. And I believe God is speaking to some people today who once were strong in faith. You were the one to jump out of the boat, but now you're the one sinking. Why? Because you've taken your eyes off the Lord and on the chaos of life. And today, if that's you, and you feel like you're drowning, you feel like you're sinking, you feel like things are far beyond your control, what do you do? You look to Jesus. And again, Matthew uses this beautiful word. What does he say? Immediately, Jesus reached and he rescued him. And that's what Jesus will do for you today. And you know what Jesus said in verse 32 or 31? You know what Jesus told Peter? Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? You know, I don't think that was angry. I don't think Jesus said that in a mad tone or an angry tone. I think he said it very parental. I think he said it to Peter in a way of saying, Peter, I had you. Why did you ever doubt? And I think that's what the Lord's saying to many of us today. Why are we doubting? God worked miracles for you back then. Why do you think he won't right now? And see, some of you are like the disciples. You've seen Jesus do the impossible, but today you're drowning. You've watched God work, but today you're sinking. You've watched God deliver, but today you're overwhelmed. Put your eyes back on the Lord. And what will he do, my friend? He will rescue you. I promise he will. When will he rescue you? Immediately. Because the Bible doesn't say the Lord is a past help. And the Bible doesn't say the Lord is a future help. The word of God says the Lord is a present help for our time of need. God's with you right now. And all you have to do is cry out to him. And he'll rescue you. He'll deliver you. 
Jesus saved us from our sins when he died on the cross. Jesus saved us from death when he rose again from the dead. But friends, Jesus saves us in life by meeting us at the point of all of our needs. Jesus will meet you today at the point of your need. Will you cry out to him? Will you say, God, rescue me? Those watching online, pray with me right now. Those in the building, pray with me right now. If you need to come to the altar, just slip out of your seat. Come and pray today and say, God, deliver me out of my trouble. God, deliver me out of my trial. God, I'm facing the storm of my life. God, the winds and the waves are tormenting me. Deliver me in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, God will work in your life. Immediately, he'll come to your rescue. That's the word of God. It's his promise. Come, get help today. Come and pray. All over, let's pray right now. God, move in our lives. Lord, we want to be so quick to jump out of the boat. We want to be so quick to walk on the water, God. We want to be so quick to obey you. But God, you know how quick we are to sink. You know how quick we are to get distracted. You know how quick we are to take our eyes off of your Lordship. Forgive us today, Lord God. Help us to reach out to you. God, give us the faith today to cry, rescue us, oh God. Save me, Lord. Save me. Save me. Save me. Hallelujah. And Lord, for that young lady that's watching right now, that has messed up so bad, that's so in the depths of sin, who Satan is telling her, you're beyond saving. God, put faith in her heart right now that she'll cry out to you and say, oh God, save me. And oh God, may you rescue her in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 God, I speak victory over people's lives today. I speak victory over the doubt, victory over the confusion, victory over the fear, victory over the terror. I speak victory today, God, over people's lives. Victory, Lord God. Victory in the name of Jesus. Victory that will take us from drowning, that will take us from being overwhelmed. Victory over anxiety, victory over depression. Oh, Lord God, victory over suicide in the name of Jesus. Victory, Lord God, and deliver and rescue God as you never have. Hallelujah. Victory, Lord God. Victory. Victory, victory in every place where this sermon is heard. Let the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ stand. Every place where this sermon is heard that people are sinking and drowning. God, reach down and do your greatest work, your best work. And rescue, Lord God. Rescue and deliver. Oh God, if you did it for Peter... Surely you'll do it for us. 
If you did it in the natural, you'll do it, oh God, in the spiritual. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God, I want to pray for those who you're speaking to that they once served. They once prayed with fervency. They once gave generously. They once gave of their time. They once served. They were engaged. But somewhere, somehow, God, they've gotten distracted. Oh, God, would you get their attention? They were so quick to obey. And now they're so quick to be distracted. Rescue them. God, I pray for the ones listening that they have no interest in getting out of the boat. They would rather stay where it's comfortable. They'd rather stay where it's safe. God, would you call them out? Call them out. Let them get out of the boat today. Let them take the risk that you're calling them to take. Maybe your call to get out of the boat, for them to be baptized, give them the faith, God. Maybe your call is to come to next steps and begin to serve, begin to plug in, give them the faith, Lord. Call us out of the boat and help us to walk on water. That like Peter, Lord God, (laughs) like Peter, when you allow us to do the impossible, when you allow us to actually walk on water, like Peter, may it not be the story of our lives. May it not be about us. May it not be about how many steps we took. May it be all about Jesus and your saving power in our lives. And Lord, this is where we close today. This is where we end. Verse 32, when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And verse 33, they worshiped you as the son of God. Lord Jesus, in this moment, we worship you as the only Son of God. We worship you as the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world were ever laid. We worship you as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords. And just like they worshiped in that boat during that fourth watch, we worship you now, 
in this day and this hour. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.